Well, if you return with me uh, to Galatians chapter 5 in your Bibles, uh, again, if you don't have a Bible, it would be helpful to, to have one to uh, follow along. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, it's page 1172 uh, in the Green Bibles and page 1812 in the Large Print Bibles. And this evening we're going to look at verses 13 uh, to 15, but I'm going to read verses 1 to 15 uh, to put these verses in their context. So Galatians chapter 5 from verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is required to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. And so we're continuing in Galatians uh, with the theme of the fight for freedom, which Paul begins there in verse 1. Uh, we've, uh, we've been looking at this for a few weeks, and this week we're going to see how we fight for freedom uh, by comparing uh, the manner of life. We've compared the message of the gospel with the, the false message, which is no gospel at all. Uh, we've compared uh, the messengers of uh, this, this false gospel with Paul and, and messengers of the truth. And this week we fight for freedom by comparing two manners of life. Uh, just look again at verse 1 where Paul says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And if you remember that standing firm is digging our heels in as if we are in a tug of war. And to let go of the rope and to give in 
is to be burdened again by a yoke of slavery which we've been freed from. And so we've been looking at this, verses 1 to 6, uh, the false gospel and the true gospel, verses 7 to 12, the false messengers with the true messengers. And here, today, in this final part of this section of standing firm for our freedom, we compare the manner of life with those who are free with those who are burdened by a yoke of slavery. And verse 13, if you notice there, begins with another reminder of our freedom. Notice what Paul says there. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Uh, The word for called there means to be called out by name. It refers to the way that God has chosen us to be his people by calling us out of darkness into light. Or in the context of Galatians, calling us out of slavery into freedom. Uh, Paul has used this word before in chapter 1 verse 6. And chapter 5, verse 8, to refer to this same action on God's part, a calling out by name, a choosing of each one of his people. And we're called to be free, to be as the illustration I've used before in verse 1, like a whale in the water rather than a whale on the beach. To live the life that we're made to live, a life in the kingdom of God under his good and gracious rule. That's what it means to be free, to live as we are made to live, which is under God's rule in his kingdom. However, freedom can be a dangerous thing, can't it? Any parent knows what it is like when, for example, a child is given a bit more freedom. Uh, For example, they may now be free to drive. That can be scary, can't it? Or free to cook in your kitchen. That can be scary. Free to stay out late. And the parents are sat at home wondering, where are they? Even though you've told them to come in when they like. I know my mum used to do that until I left home. She used to not go to sleep until I got in the door. Or free to stay at home on their own when you go away. That can be worrying. And you wonder, as you, you, you give that freedom, how are they going to use it? Now, I have to confess, when I was a teenager, I was given all of those freedoms. I was a disaster when I was free to drive. I wrote my mum's car off. I was a disaster when I was left at home on my own. I totally ruined the house when I had all my friends over. I wasn't such a disaster in the kitchen, uh, but I was pretty much a disaster with every bit of freedom I was given. Now, in Galatians so far, Paul has been mainly concerned with legalism. Uh, Legalism is where someone is is living under rules and regulations that they think will earn them favor with God. In Galatians, those rules were the Jewish law. That's what they were told to follow. But there is another kind of opposite pitfall that Paul refers to in verse 13. It's the opposite of legalism. And it's known as antinomianism. Uh, Nomos is the Greek word for law, and anti is against. So it means against law. Whereas legalism undermines the gospel by telling us that we must be really good and add add our obedience to what Christ has done to be saved. In other words, we've got to work really hard and follow laws to be right with God, which we can't do because we have to trust in what Jesus has done. 
Antinomianism perverts the gospel by saying that we don't need to do, uh, we don't need to obey any kind of law because we've already been forgiven, so we can kind of just live as ever, live, live as we please. It's a, a freedom from all kind of moral restraint, which we'll see isn't really a freedom at all. Uh, Martin Luther is supposed to have described human nature. Uh, like a, a drunk peasant who falls off of a horse on one side, gets back on and falls off on the other. And that's kind of the, the danger that Paul is contrasting here. We kind of fall off the horse onto the side of legalism, trying really hard to please God, but then we can also fall off on the other side when we think, well, actually, it doesn't matter how I live. I can live however I, I want to. And it's that antinomianism that Paul refers to in verse 13. He shows us, first of all, a pitfall of freedom, which he calls indulging in the flesh. So notice that in verse 13. So we're called to be free, but he says, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Now the flesh there is a word that's used in the Bible in a number of ways. Sometimes it can literally mean the, the skin uh, that's around our skeletons. Uh, other times it can uh, just mean human as opposed to spiritual. But oftentimes, like here, it's used to describe human nature apart from God. What humanity becomes because of their sin. It refers to human pride and selfishness and the tendency to live as if God doesn't exist. Now, it sounds freeing to be able to follow the desires of the flesh, to kind of do as you please. But actually, that is another form of slavery. So in the language of verse 1, that is to be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. To just have to follow your, the desires of your flesh is disastrous because you're, you're enslaved to your fleshly desires and they end up leading you down all sorts of terrible paths and it's a disaster. In fact, Peter described the false teachers that he faced like this. He says, they promised them freedom whilst they themselves are slaves of depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. So if, you're, if your lifestyle is one that just follows whatever your sinful desires wish, you are mastered by those sinful desires. You are a slave. You're not free at all. You might think you're free, but you are indeed a slave. And what we find, as we'll see in verse 15 in particular, is that indulging in the flesh leads to destruction of other people as we seek to satisfy ourselves, Selfish living doesn't just impact you. Selfish living impacts your community around you as well. Now, to indulge the flesh here is literally translated, give opportunity to it. It's a word that's used to describe a military base of operations, a headquarters. So the idea is that we must not use our freedom from the law as a base of operations to then go and live according to our fleshly desires, thinking that, well, it doesn't matter how we live anymore. I'm free. I can do what I want. God forgives me anyway. What does it matter how I live? Although we're free from the penalty of sin because we're forgiven, 
Although our old life, our flesh, has been crucified with Christ, it is not eliminated. We still have a battle, which we'll start looking at more next week in Galatians. And sinful desires look for opportunities to invade our lives. I mean, don't you find that in your life? That the sinful desires not come and look for opportunity for you to indulge them? They do in my life. And freedom is misused if it's used to launch sinful behaviors. We're, we're freed from sin. We're not free now to sin. And we live in a, a world that is enslaved to its passions. And using the pretext of being free to be myself to launch into all sorts of things. Uh, just a couple of examples that I think can impact us as Christians as much as anybody else in the world. Uh, food and drink. We live in an age where the biggest health problems that we have in our nation are now down to overconsumption, aren't they? I mean, years ago, most health problems were, were due to malnourishment and not getting enough of things. Now, our problems are from overeating and overindulging. People overeat and overdo things all the time. Just because we can eat and drink and we're free to do that as much as we might please, it doesn't mean that we should. That is indulging the flesh, isn't it? Or think about how we might use our money. Uh, there's an internet sensation uh, that I've never seen, but I've read about, uh, called Rich Kids of Instagram. Have you ever, ever, any of you ever seen that? Rich Kids of Instagram? Well, there's the, these rich kids on Instagram uh, that are posting uh, pictures of how lavish and amazing their rich lifestyle is. They'll, they'll post pictures of them bathing in money and uh, pictures of all their, their private jets and pic all these kinds of things. Using... Uh, they're, they're basically rich heirs with nothing better to do because they don't need a job and they probably, even though they're rich, should get one. Uh, posting pictures on Instagram of, of them indulging anything with anything they want. Now, I don't know, you know your financial situation. I don't know whether you bathe in your money or not. But we shouldn't, as Christians, should we be using our wealth to, to, to flaunt it or... Or even, do you use your money purely or even mostly just for yourself? A Christian is called to be generous and, and think of others. We should be the most giving of people. Not just using our material resources to just indulge the flesh. You see? So we can be caught up in all this kind of things. And we might say, well, Christ has freed me now so I can do that. That's not how we are to use our freedom, you see? As Christians, we ought to be joyfully different, living the life that Christ has made for us. And included in this, and perhaps where the background to what's going on in the church in Galatia is concerned, is to, to the need to be aware of how our lifestyle and our decisions on how we live impact others. You are free to do all sorts of things as Christians but not everything is helpful to other people, is it? Just as an illustration of this, um, in our country, we have laws that protect freedom of speech. 
Now, I'm thankful for those laws. I'm free to be able to preach the gospel because of those laws. We're free, in a sense, to say whatever we want as long as it doesn't slander or incite violence or something like that. I think it would be right if I was arrested for telling you all to go out and start setting fire to things or whatever. But we have generally a freedom of speech, don't we? And, but within that freedom, we ought to be careful, oughtn't we, to, to not unnecessarily upset and offend. It's right that we consider how we speak. I mean, James writes about that a lot, doesn't he, about how we use our tongue. And so we don't say, well, because in our country we have freedom of speech, I can speak whoever I want. We have to speak carefully. And so we're not to just indulge the flesh because we are free. And so that leads us on to the contrasting manner of life. We see this in the middle of verse 13. Notice that Paul uses the word there, rather. So rather than, don't don't indulge the flesh, rather, notice what he says, serve one another in love. Rather than indulging the flesh, using, the free, using our freedom as a, as a base camp for sin, we're to see freedom as an opportunity to serve others. And this leads us then, secondly, to a paradox of freedom. Serve one another in love. A paradox is a statement or proposition that seems to contradict, but is true. And there is a paradox here, the paradox of freedom, because to be truly free, Paul says, you have to become a slave. Here's where we get that from, the end of verse 13, rather, serve one another humbly in love. The the word for serve there, translated as serve in English, actually is the word in Greek that means slave. It means to be a slave. So literally, we can read this as, through love, be a slave to one another. That's the literal translation. Through love, be a slave to one another. Or keep offering one another loving service as people who have bound themselves to one another. So to be truly free, that is to live as God intends us to live in his kingdom, we are enslaved to one another. It's stronger than, than just serving. It's stronger than just, uh, you know, like making a cup of tea for somebody. It's to be bound, for, bound to them as a slave. It sounds absurd, doesn't it? But it's true. It's a paradox. To be truly free, we are to be slaves to one another. And it's a, a, a voluntary slavery, not forced, voluntary. Now, we'll see in the weeks to come how it is also a Holy Spirit-empowered slavery, but it's voluntary slavery. Voluntary, off, voluntarily offering oneself in service of others rather than indulging the flesh, rather than self-serving. Now we find examples, an example of voluntary slavery in the book of Exodus. So in Exodus, when Israel was freed from slavery in Egypt in order that they could serve the Lord, they also, at times, were slaves to each other. And within the the law of Israel, a slave was able to become a permanent slave to a family. 
Now, when we think of slavery, we, we always think of, of chattel slavery or sex slavery, but not all slaves were treated in this kind of a way uh, in the Old Testament. So in Exodus chapter 21, verses 5 and 6, we read, If the servant declares, or the slave declares, I love my master and my wife and children and, and do not want to go free, then his master must take him before the judges. He shall take him to the door of the doorpost and pierce his ear with an awl. Then he will be his servant or slave for life. So here, someone that is a slave wants to stay with this family. They love this family. They want to be there for the rest of their lives. And so they make a legal agreement that's um, uh, signed with this ear piercing ceremony that they will be there for life. And this is kind of what's going on in the life of the church that we're called to be in the New Testament. Not that we need to get our ears pierced to show that, but we are to be voluntary slaves, ultimately to God, but shown in our slavery to one another. Now, the other thing to bear in mind with this is that it's a, a, an amazing situation because all, this is for all Christians. So, it's a community, not where slaves are exploited, but where all of us are bound to each other. So the, the, the slave is there for a, a servant, and the slave is served by others, because we're enslaved to one another. So it's not about being exploited by each other, it's about voluntarily being bound to one another as, as slaves, where we're served and we serve. And that's what makes this so different from all other yokes of slavery. All of us are slaves to something. And outside of Christ, we end up being enslaved to our own self-serving desires in one way or another. But the Christian has been freed from those self-serving desires to serve others where true freedom is found. So mutual service that slavery to one another is not a restriction on freedom. It is freedom. Do you see? It is freedom to serve one another in love. So how do we do that practically? Well, I think we can sum it up in the one another commands in the New Testament, of which there are many. Uh, so here in uh, Galatians 5, we're told, serve one another. But here's loads from elsewhere in the New Testament. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Teach and admonish one another. Do you see? It's quite challenging, isn't it? It's not easy. And we do this, Paul says in Galatians 5, humbly. That means that it's not for our glory or honor. I don't serve you in order that you can pat me on the back and tell me what a great slave I am. And in love, that is looking for the good of the other person. So that means sometimes we need to admonish 
one another. Looking for the good of the other person. Uh, The word for love in this verse and in verse 14 means to be outward focused and self-giving. It's the kind of love that God has for us, demonstrated by him giving himself for us on the cross. And to all those legalists who were striving so hard to keep the Old Testament laws, Paul explains the reason behind becoming slaves to one another. Look at verse 14. For, this is why we're to be enslaved to one another, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. You don't need to be a legalist. Love your neighbor as yourself and you fulfill the law. You don't need to do the law to be saved. God has done the work for you to to save you from your sin. But you fulfill the law as your faith is expressed in love. You see the difference there? He doesn't say you, you do the law, you fulfill the law. Whilst we're not under the law, the law does reveal to us God's righteous standards, his purposes, his plans. It is along with all scripture useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. But the law is not something to do to be saved, but it is fulfilled as we love one another. And Paul sums up the law with a verse that appears twice in Leviticus chapter 19. Love your neighbor as yourself. Paul is also repeating what Jesus taught. So Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 verse 12, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do for you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. And then in Matthew 22, Jesus replied to the question about the greatest commandment by saying, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You see? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's how you fulfill the law. Now, we are very good at loving ourselves. Well, I mean, we're born good at that. This isn't, though, about, about feelings. Even people with low self-esteem and self-loathing have a worldview that's all about themselves, don't they? You can be really down on yourself and think you don't love yourself, but because you're all about yourself, you are loving yourself. We know, don't we, what pleases us. We know how to please ourselves. The point here is to turn that inclination to self-love outwards towards loving others. Uh, just as an, an, as an illustration, um, most, of, most people here have smartphones. Uh, and on your smartphone, you have a camera. And the camera uh, faces two ways. And it has, a, it has a button, doesn't it? You push it and it flips. Yeah, people are nodding. It flips the phone so that it faces the other direction. Our inclination is to have the selfie, isn't it? To have the phone facing us and to take the picture of ourselves. But the point here is to push the button to flip it the other way. To start looking outwards at other people and loving them. And we're called here to love our neighbor. Who does that refer to? Well, uh, neighbor literally means near one. 
So you can say this is about loving all those whom God has brought your way. So that would be your relations or people in your home, their near ones. Loving your spouse, your children, your siblings, your parents in ways that look out for their best interests, not your own. So I'll do the dishwasher. I'll do whatever it takes to love my family. You see, that kind of thing. Church family are near ones. Do you come to church just to spectate or to receive? Or are you a church member that seeks to give and looks out for the needs of others? Do you wake up on Sunday morning and think, how can I serve? Or do you think, what can I get? Flip the camera around. Your work colleagues are near ones. What a witness to the love of God you will be if you love your neighbor with the self-giving love that Jesus talks of here. Your local community are near ones, your next-door neighbors, your people in your local area. And our neighbors don't even have to necessarily be near us physically. I think God brings people near to us from all over the world, for example, with our missions that we support. And Jesus teaches us elsewhere in the New Testament too, especially in the parable of the Good Samaritan, that even our enemies are our neighbors that we should love too. Uh, in his, uh, one of his sermons on the Sermon on the Mount, Martin Lloyd-Jones speaks of how loving our neighbor is freeing. It's quite a long quote, but I found it, it blessed me, so I'm going to read it to you. It says, uh, we see our neighbors now no longer as hateful people who are trying to rob us of our rights or trying to beat us in the race for money or position or fame. We see them as we see ourselves, as the victims of sin and of Satan, as the dupes of the God of this world, as fellow creatures who are under the wrath of God and hellbound. We have an entirely new view of them. We see them to be exactly as we are ourselves, and we are both in ter a terrible predicament. And we can do nothing, but both of us together must run to Christ and avail ourselves of his wonderful grace. We begin to enjoy it together, and we want to share it together. That's how it works. It is the only way whereby we can ever do unto others as we would what they should do unto us. It is when we are really loving our neighbor as ourselves because we have been delivered from the thraldom of self that we begin to enjoy the glorious liberty of the children of God. You see, that's lovely, isn't it? That as we, as we, as we, 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 we see ourselves as being delivered from the thraldom of self, we can enjoy the liberty of the children of God. That's what it's about. True freedom is found in forgetting self and serving others and it's a beautiful thing isn't it and in verse 15 Paul shows us an ugly alternative an ugly alternative what we see there is a polar opposite of freedom biting and devouring each other so in verse 15 we see an if an if an alternative this is where selfishness and indulging the flesh leads. Look at what Paul says. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. 
Uh, Biting and devouring are words that describe the behavior of wild animals. Uh, They were specifically used as words that described um, snakes and wild dogs. And those animals uh, fight each other so ferociously that they end up just annihilating one another from the injuries that they cause each other. Now, we have a phrase uh, similar, uh, fighting like cats and dogs, or we live in a dog-eat-dog world. That's the kind of thing that's going on here. These phrases speak of a conflict that destroys both sets of people. And Paul seems to be describing something going on in the Galatian churches. And it was probably caused by the conflict over false teachers or between Jewish and Gentile believers. And this kind of animal behavior destroys. It destroys homes, it destroys workplaces, and it destroys churches. The word for destroy here speaks of a destruction caused by fire. And churches and families and communities are destroyed by this kind of infighting that comes when we do not love our neighbor as ourselves. I was reading quite recently about, um, you may have heard of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. I wouldn't even call that a church. It is a travesty. There are five different denominations that run this church, and they all fight each other over the keys to the church. And they literally sometimes fight. In 2018... Uh, the authorities in Israel had to come and arrest two lots of monks for attacking each other physically because one of them, I think, had lit a lamp wrong and the others weren't very happy. It's ridiculous, isn't it? But we could be the same very easily if we don't love our neighbor as ourselves. And why do we fight? Isn't it for our own interests? My style of music, this person, I was going to point then, but I'm not pointing anybody. (laughs) This person irritates me. My ministry can't be changed in any way. My preferred whatever. Or don't we fight because we want to be better than someone else, or we want the upper hand, or for our pride? And it can start off really small, like a spark, but it can end up devouring, and we can end up being like the church of the Holy Sepulchre, where we're fighting in the end over really stupid things. And some churches no longer exist because of this kind of animalistic biting and devouring. May that not be us. Our church is in danger of this, especially at the moment as we go through periods of growth, We are in danger of biting and devouring one another if we don't take seriously the the call that we're given here to love one another, to be enslaved to each other, loving our neighbor as ourselves. Do you see? So linking it to verse uh, 13, indulging the flesh, this happens when we allow our fleshly passions to become a base of operations. So here are some common ways that the flesh can be indulged and then cause us to bite and devour one another. So, when we harbor 
um, up for, when, we, when we harbor grudges and we don't forgive. That is a base of operations that indulges the flesh. When we don't overlook minor offenses but get upset over slight things, we're just easily offended. You know, I say stuff that I don't mean to be offensive but upsets people. Happens all the time. And I'm so glad when people aren't easily offended because otherwise I could end up just upsetting everybody all the time. Let's not be those that are easily offended. Uh, This happens when we put a negative spin on what others are doing or just have a, a perpetually negative attitude. That indulges the flesh. When we speak negatively, negatively of others or we gossip about them, don't indulge in that. When we engage in sarcasm, insults and ridicule that puts people down. When the only thing we go away from church with is what someone else has done that's either not very nice or even funny or silly. Which Okay, sometimes we can laugh about those things, but is that all we're taking away from church? Or when we send emails out without thinking or hide behind them rather than speaking to someone. All those things can build up and at first they can be little bites but they can escalate and destroy a church. What a difference it is when we can look away from ourselves and serve others in love. Indulging in those kind of fleshly passions is a form of slavery, especially when true freedom is to be slaves to one another. Do you want to be be truly free? Do you want to be the kind of person that God has made you to be? Do you want our church to thrive and grow and be a, a bright witness to the world around us? Here's how we do that. We be slaves to one another. For this is the kind of love that is a witness to the world and what Jesus said, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So let's be those kinds of people. Let's switch the camera that direction, away from self towards others and serve one another in love. So in a moment, what we're going to do is just have a moment to think about how we might be able uh, to do that ourselves, to just apply it personally. Uh, But first of all, we're going to sing in response to what we've heard. Uh, We're going to sing together, Love Divine. Uh, This song speaks of the love of God for us, and it asks God to help us to live for him in response to his love. And after we've sung, we'll, we'll take our seats And we'll have some time to just think and respond to what we've heard from God's word. And then I'll pray uh, and then we'll close uh, in singing again. So let's stand together now uh, and sing Love Divine, All Loves Excelling.